Welcome, everyone, to the Thursday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I'm your host, as always, Tyler Crawley. And I know what you're thinking. Because of everyone was talking about today, the 75, I almost said 50, the 75, see, I'm stuck like two months ago, the 75 basis point increase by the Federal Reserve or the Federal Open Market Committee, you thought that is where we were going to be starting today's podcasts, but we are not. We are going to get to it. We are going to start with pending home sales. Because remember, this is day two of the economic data mecca. So there's so much data going on. Sometimes stories that normally would be the top story, they've fallen back to number two. And in this case, the Fed decision, number two, because we have to talk about pending home sales because this is a housing podcast, a mortgage podcast. So we got to talk about some important housing data and we got the latest pending home sales data from the National Association of Realtors looking at the month of June. And what do you think? I know we've been seeing a lot of negative reports recently, sales falling more than normal, inventory levels falling, or I should say increasing, but to the point where sales are falling, what do you think with pending home sales? Yes, it also fell. (laughs) If you thought this was going to be a divergence from what we have been seeing, you would be wrong. So month over month, according to the National Association of Realtors, the pending home sales index fell 8.6% to 91 even. And that's kind of a big deal because an index of 100 is equal to the housing market of 2001, which many look at as kind of a normalized housing market. So falling under 100 is probably a sign that you are below a normal housing market. So it fell 8.6% in the year over year. Well, bigger drop, 20% when compared to June 2021. And this is kind of a big deal because economists had projected a dip, but only 1.5%. So we're talking about, what is that? Six times higher? About six times higher, almost, than what they were expecting. And what is one of the other characteristics that we have seen from these housing reports? What do you you remember? The South, that's right. The South dominating as usual, continues into this report as well. Even though month over month, the South pending home sales fell 8.9%. So they almost fell 9%. But the index is still above 100 at 108.3. But that is down 19.3%. So it's kind of interesting that the South is really a good indicator for what is happening nationwide, probably because there's so much volume happening in the South. I mean, we talked about that earlier this week when we were looking at new home sales and the South was 66% of activity. So when the South is making moves, it's going to impact the overall index in a much bigger way. And that is even true with pending home sales because they're the only index that's over a hundred. The Midwest fell 3.8%. They are now at 93.7. The Northeast fell 6.7%. They're now at 80.9. And the West plummeted 15.9% to 68.7. And the West not only saw the biggest month-over-month decline, the biggest yearly decline. They are now down 30.9%. 
I mean, it makes sense because what is the biggest issue impacting housing right now? Affordability. And where are homes the most expensive? The West. So if you're going to see a pullback somewhere, it's going to be in the West. Now, Lawrence Yan, the chief economist at the National Association of Realtors, said that contract signings will continue to fall as rates continue to climb. Now, he did have some good news. It wasn't all bad news, I will say. He said, quote, there are indications that mortgage rates may be topping or very close to a cyclical high in July. If so, we could see pending contracts stabilize. So he's not saying we're going to see a big jump. We're not going to see an increase. He's just arguing that we're going to see it stabilize. And then there was one stat that just we can't ignore. We talked about affordability in the West, but overall, the National Association of Realtors says buying a home in June was 80% more expensive than buying a home in June 2019. I mean, if you're looking for the stat that would explain why we're seeing this big drop, there it is. I mean, that's the affordability issue. 80% more expensive. That's why we're seeing this big, you know, we got rates going up, home prices going up. It makes sense. And so we know that the housing market has been way overheated for probably too long. And remember, this is all by design. I mean, this is the one thing that keeps getting lost in this big discussion about what's happening with housing is that people will say, you know, when the housing market was way too hot, we were seeing 20% year over year gains and we still pretty much are, at least according to the latest Case Shiller report, which of course is from a couple months ago. But everyone was saying, oh my gosh, this is unsustainable. We have to do something. So the Fed steps in, raises interest rates. Of course, mortgage rates are front running to some extent, which is why they're higher than where the Fed funds rate is. And so it's slowing the market. And the same people are now saying, oh my God, here comes the housing crash. <laughs> it's like, what, what do you want to happen? If the housing market's too hot, it's about to crash and it's horrible. If things are cooling off, oh my God, this is horrible. It's about to crash. It's, it almost seems like the crash bros, every indicator to them is a sign that the housing market is going to crash, but it's by design. That is the whole purpose of this. We know that the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, has talked about housing and how it's overheated and things need to cool off. And so it's by design. And so now we get to, of course, the decision by the Fed, or I should say, of course, the Federal Open Market Committee. And the Fed decided to raise rates by exactly what everyone thought, and that was 75 basis points. The FOMC released a statement on this decision saying the committee seeks to achieve maximum employment and inflation at the rate of 2% over the long run. In support of these goals, the committee decided to raise the target range for the federal funds rate to two and a quarter to two and a half percent and anticipates that ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate. Now, they addressed other issues as well. For example, why did they make this decision? The committee addressed not only the strong labor market, but also the softening that we are seeing with regards to consumer sentiment. They said in the statement, quote, recent indicators of spending and production have softened. Nonetheless, job gains have been robust in recent months and the unemployment rate has remained low. Inflation 
the number one issue, remains elevated, reflecting supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic, higher food and energy prices, and broader price pressures. So we all know that that's one of the issues with the Fed. The other is their balance sheet, them buying treasuries, them buying mortgage-backed securities. That was addressed in this statement. The committee will continue reducing its holdings of treasury securities and agency debt and agency mortgage-backed securities as described in the plans for reducing the size of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet that were issued in May. Now, if like me, you might've forgot what they said in May, here's what they said. I went back and looked it up just for you. In May, the Fed said, quote, for treasury securities, the cap will initially be set at 30 billion per month and after three months will increase to 60 billion per month. The decline in holdings of treasury securities under this monthly cap will include treasury coupon securities and to the extent that coupon maturities are less than the monthly cap, T-bills. For agency debt and agency mortgage-backed securities, that cap will initially be 17.5 billion. After three months, 35 billion. And so that was, I think they started in June, so they're still on track to increase that by September. Nothing has changed. Now, going back to once again, May, the committee intends to slow and then stop the decline in the size of the balance sheet when reserve balances are somewhat above the level it judges to be consistent with ample reserves in order to ensure a smooth transition. So they're still holding on to the idea that they can successfully navigate and steer a soft landing. And so they're holding on to that. And there are some people, well, I'll tell you this. So normally when you're talking about the Fed, I hear really two opinions. One, they should have started earlier. And because they didn't start earlier, they should be going a lot faster. And that's it. That's really, those are really the only two opinions that I have heard, which is why I have to give some credit to Nir Kassir or Nir Kassar. I hope I'm pronouncing it somewhat correctly over at Bloomberg because he has the hottest of hottest takes when it comes to the Federal Reserve because he is actually arguing. I mean, he may be the only person who is arguing that the Fed has done a great job and is continuing to do a great job. Now, I've made very clear about this. I am not smart enough. My background, I am not an economist. The understanding of monetary policy is very basic. And so for me to be able to say that what the Fed is doing is wrong or I can't give you anything other than an amateur opinion. I like Jerome Powell. I think he's doing a great job. But to understand the true inner workings of what the Fed is doing, I am open to all opinions. And I like this, not because he was saying that, you know, Jerome Powell was right. And I like Jerome Powell just because no one else is arguing this. And so I was fascinated by it. And I said, I want, I want to read this thing and see what he has to say. So he actually is arguing that the fall of 2021, everyone was like, the Fed should have acted. We were getting data that CPI was starting to rise above the 2% Fed target. And it was reaching a level where it was starting to go outside that range. So we know that obviously during the pandemic, inflation fell under 2%. So we could see a number above that 2% for a couple months or however long it would 
be in the data and it would still average out to 2%. Because remember, the Fed changed their sort of metrics and said, well, we're going to do a more average of 2%. And so that way, if it rises above 2% for a little while, it's fine because it'll average out to 2%. Well, the fall is really when we started seeing those numbers start to rise to a point where maybe that average was going to be above the Fed mandate. And that's when people said, you know what? We should have moved then. We should have made that decision. And what Nasir is, or excuse me, Kassar is arguing is that the Fed actually did make a decision at that time. He says that while it's true, the Fed waited several more months to raise the funds rate. It didn't have to raise them immediately in order to have an impact. I'm intrigued. Continue, Kassar. He says the Fed funds rate is an overnight lending rate between banks, as we all know. But its power resides in its ability to move short-term interest rates, which influence the rest of the economy. Central bankers began signaling their intention to fight inflation in the fall of 2021, which caused short-term rates to rise in anticipation. The two-year treasury yield began to rise meaningful level in October of 2021 for the first time in many years. Eventually, the Fed raised rates to maintain credibility, which it began to do in March. Markets evidently find the Fed credible because the yield on the two-year treasury is now up. It bounces back between above three and under three from just 0.4% in October. So a pretty big jump. I mean, if you're looking at it from that metric of where we were to where we are now. Now, it's too soon, he argues, to gauge the impact of the Fed's efforts so far. But he does say there are signs that inflation is easing. And I would be somewhat cautious on this because I've been hearing this for about a month now that there's evidence that things are easing. And every time they say that, the CPI data comes in hotter than they thought. (laughs) So uh, I don't know if some of these metrics that they're using are entirely accurate. But Kassar argues critics contend the Fed should be more aggressive, but its measured approach now seems prudent. Real gross domestic product contracted 1.6% in the first quarter, and we could see possibly a second quarter in the red. If that's true, then the U.S. is already in a recession. The fact that it doesn't feel that way to a lot of people, hence why we're having this debate about whether or not we're actually in a recession, he argues is a sign that the Fed has managed to bring down inflation potentially with only a mild recession. So he's saying is that if we're in the recession and we start to see a pullback in prices, but we're in a recession to the point where some people don't even know if we're in a recession, that's a soft landing. (laughs) I know most people would argue that a soft landing would not be in a recession at all, but he's kind of saying, hey, you know what? That might be considered a soft landing. Now, he does point out that no one can reliably predict inflation. If that were possible, then we would never have an inflation problem because the Fed would always be able to, would always be able to preempt it. And he has a good point here because this is kind of where I am. He says there were numerous predictions after the financial crisis when we saw these you know, hundreds of billions of dollars in spending and trillions of dollars when all was said and done, that that was going to cause inflation and it never happened. And that's why I was one of those people too when 
I thought the entire time in the 2010s, all this money that was getting spent, where's the inflation? And I thought, well, maybe things have changed. And so now people go, oh, well, obviously we were gonna have inflation because we were spending so much money, but we've been doing that for a while now and we never saw any real impact. And so Kassar argues, the reality is that a data-driven approach to monetary policy, which the Fed is right to pursue, will always be a step slow because economic numbers come with a lag. But looking back at the data available to the Fed and the decisions it undertook, it appears to have done as well as you can reasonably expect. And this does sort of echo the, I think we talked about it here on the podcast. There was one by Alan, and I think I was saying his name wrong. It's Blinder. I think I was saying Blinder. And he was arguing a very similar argument, which was, is that the Fed is supposed to be steady and slow. And the example he gave was the the, tur- the tortoise and the hare and was saying that the Fed is supposed to be the tortoise. And he you know talked about the comments by Milton Friedman and his famous analogy to the fool in the shower, which is that you know, you're fiddling with the uh, water dial. And because of the lag, you're constantly going too hot, too cold because you're not waiting for your adjustment to impact you. And it's gonna take a while. And so you're constantly going back and forth and you're never comfortable. And he was saying the Fed needs to remember that, that there's always a lag with their decisions and the impact on the economy. And so it's interesting that we're starting to see more people sort of make this argument about, you know, the Fed needs to be a little more cautious and not listen to markets and especially traders as much as they are. So I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I it was the hottest of hot takes <laughs> because no one, I've heard very few people say the Fed is 100% correct. Everyone's criticizing the Fed. Some people are saying, hey, you know what? Maybe they got it right. And time will tell. History will be the judge. But time will definitely tell on this. Are we finally seeing a pullback in inflation? We haven't seen it yet. We're going to get some inflation data tomorrow. PCE. We will see. All right. Before we go, uh, real quick, because this is markets and mortgages. Mortgage demand fell for the fourth straight week, down 1.8% in total. Thanks to a, well, we saw a 4% drop in refis. They're now down <laughs> 83% year over year. 83%. I'm still surprised it's not 100% and all. I'm always going to be surprised by that. And purchases were down 1% and are now down 18% year over year, which is still kind of impressive. I mean, rates have jumped. I mean, according to this report, they have rates up 273 basis points. And we're still only seeing purchase demand down not even 20%. Kind of impressive. Oh, and here's an interesting stat. So a couple months ago, everyone was freaking about arms. Arms were increasing in, in um, usage. And everyone said, oh my God, here comes 2008 all over again. Here comes the, the crash. Well, once again, arms fell. They're now down to 9.1% of total applications. So continuing to fall. So there's your mortgage data for markets and mortgages on this Thursday. We got to go. You guys enjoy your day. Oh, we got a ton of data today. We, oh, we got the big, we got the big one. We got the big one. GDP. 
and I've said this before. I think I did. I think I said I'm. I said this on Twitter on Wednesday. I'm hoping the number is positive, not because I care. I mean, like, sure, I'd, I'd love to, us not to have negative GDP, but for like a month, two months, Republicans have been arguing nonstop the two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth are recession. And the Dems have been arguing that, no, 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 there's other factors. You can't just use GDP. That's not the, there's a ton of metrics that go into it. And that's not even a real recession. The NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research has to make that decision. Well, if that number comes in positive and just like 0.1%, both parties are going to flip and I'm just, I'm going to love it. Like, I love the chaos because like Republicans are going to go, well, you know what? Actually, there's more than just GDP and we are still in a recession because look at all these other statistics and Democrats are going to immediately jump on. No, 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 no. It's two, it's two quarters in, in, in a row and we didn't see two in a row. So we're not in a recession and I'm just going to love it. I love the chaos of it. I love watching both parties have a talking point and then have to flip positions. And so that's, I don't want to see us in a recession. So I'd like to see a a positive GDP, but also because the chaos from the political standpoint and as someone that was in political talk radio for 11 years, oh, it would just be so funny to watch. (laughs) So I'm kind of rooting for a positive number. So we'll talk about that on Friday's edition of Markets and Mortgages. You guys enjoy your Thursday. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.